the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. When it comes to your investments and retirement, in this economy, it's important to be smart. And with the Smart Investor Hour heard right here on AM 1420 The Answer, you'll get both smart and intelligent information you'll need to help with your investing. So sit back, listen, and learn with your host of the Smart Investor Hour, Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management. Good afternoon, everybody. Kind of a crisp, good uh, fall day here in Ohio. Let's start thinking. Uh, let's just start thinking. I have sworn upon the altar of God eternal hostility against every form of tyranny over the minds of men. Thomas Jefferson. He who would trade liberty for some temporary security deserves neither liberty nor security. Ben Franklin. And then one of my favorite poems of all time, the woods are lovely, dark and deep, but I have promises to keep and miles to go before I sleep and miles to go before I sleep. Robert Frost. Uh, well, the Democrats uh, got their uh, infrastructure bill passed to the tune of $1.4 trillion. Now, I've heard some people in Washington say that there's a lot of language in there where it's more like $2.5 trillion. And by the way, there's an Ohio Republican named Gonzalez that did vote for the bill. Uh, there were 13 Republicans across the line. No comment. Uh, but anyway, if you want to, to uh, have coffee, talk about your portfolio, talk about a lot of things, um, go to WHK1420's webpage, down to local podcasts. Scroll down to Smart Investor Show Tim Hayes and go directly to my webpage. And by the way, while you're there, you know, there's a thing called Insight that's a heading. Go to that. That's where we put out research, and we constantly changing it. Man, there's some good stuff on there. Now, if you would have been reading that stuff, you could have made a lot of money in the last four or five years. We also have Money Matters for Young Professionals. So all you young ladies and men out there that are working hard, this is a workbook for you. Uh, Women and Wealth, a planning guide, okay? Uh, the Savvy Investors uh, Credit Workbook, you know, Corporations are putting out debt like crazy. You think they're dumb? Of course, this is a great time to, to use debt, uh, especially if you lock in a long-term rate. A business owner's guide to transition planning. If you're selling your business, first of all, private equity is trying to take your business at a very cheap price. Uh, so make sure that you're getting a good price. And number two, there's some all sorts of things that you need to do. Look. With this infrastructure bill, I've been talking about this got this electrical grid guide, okay, and also our global energy power infrastructure virtual conference. This is good stuff. This is where the money's going, folks, okay? Also, you know, we have several really good industrial uh, analysts, and, uh, you know, one of them is really, really good. And we have uh, some stuff out there that you can get. So you, you just hit the contact me or email me, and I'll be glad to send it out to you. By the way, if you want to have coffee, you want to talk about your portfolio, let me know. So you know, I noticed 
I was reading uh, Lori Calbacina's stuff, and I noticed in the earnings-related stats that she tracks, uh, she speaks to the idea that reporting season has been good enough to keep the stock market headed in the right direction. And that's after falling you know, sharply through most of October, the rate of upward revisions an inch higher sequentially for two weeks, which was really interesting, all right? So uh, look, there are three stats we're tracking closely. First is the percent of companies beating consensus estimates on earnings per share and revenue. And it's come down a little from extreme highs in the past few quarters, but it's still up there. Second, in terms of the intermediate share price performance, beats are being rewarded to a similar degree as the last quarter, which is good, all right? And then finally, the bottom-up sell-side consensus earnings per share for the S&P 500 for 2021 has continued to creep up. It ended up last week at 206. That's up from 204. Now, you know, we were talking about 4,600, uh, both Rob Schleimer and Lori. Uh, you know, Rob's our technical analyst. And, uh, you know, usually from the bottom in a four-year cycle, to the top is about 110 percent. That would be 4,600. Now, it can go more than that. It's been 130, 140. So, uh, remember, we're coming near the, you know, the second, third year of a four-year cycle, which usually gets a little bit sporadic. All right. So, um, but anyway, we we've read the, a lot of the earnings transcripts and uh, heard a lot of the calls, and our latest uh, tagging stats on key topics, uh, you know have been positive, okay? And on cash deployment, buybacks and dividends continue to be emphasized, which is really good, all right? So, you know, keep that up. Now, the Fed, uh, you know, I was reading Tom Porcelli, who's, uh, you know, he's on CNBC all the time, and he was quite happy to see the near-term Fed funds futures pricing and the rates market at large were not dramatically changed in the wake of Powell's presser press conference, Okay. The market is looking through a number of dovish musings from, from Powell. So we want to be clear. We think this is the, absolutely the right call. Uh, Powell is going to be late to any shifts in the narrative. He wants to be, you know, uh, uh, Fed chairman again. Now, look, uh, he was at the White House this week, so no one knew what they were talking about. But, uh, you know, you'd like, you don't like to see the political pushing. Uh, Bernard, uh, Brainerd is the guy that's supposed to, you know, be competing with him. So um, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Uh, you know, I wanted to talk about two subjects that are on the, off the subject of the stock market. And one of them is uh, tax management and best practices involved there. Okay. You know, portfolio management covers a wide array of topics, and rebalancing is one of them uh, that's easy to overlook. Uh, as markets move, you know, naturally move, your, your set allocations will also move from your desired selection. And the volatility within the markets can uh, misalign this to a certain degree, all right? Uh, sometimes to the positive, sometimes to So proactive rebalancing can, you know, can limit the negative effects if something happens on the downside. And you'll see what I'm talking about if you listen to the rest of the show. There's no in single answer to the question of how often to rebalance, but the proper rebalancing can reduce, uh, you know, portfolio volatility, and it can uh, mitigate a lot of tax liabilities and serve as a, a practical reminder to stay uh, on track with your goals. So, uh, look, I'm not a big fan of bonds right now. I have some, some people who love bonds and, you know, are more laddering for them. Uh, and that's okay. But, look, I, I think you have to take a look at a couple things right now. First of all, capital gains, 
are a direct reflection of the benefits of an investment decision. Okay? Some are greater than others, but they are all taxed with the decisions made to move on from one investment to the other. So as odd as it seems, there can be some benefits to realizing losses, tax harvesting, and that's something people don't talk about. Uh, you know, market swings are natural and, and offer opportunities to be proactive investors to address allocation drift. So look, what I'm trying to tell you is sell your losers. Nobody's perfect in this business. I'm not. You know, Warren Buffett isn't. You know, he had U.S. scare. You know, he bought the stock at 36 and went to five. All right. So the point is you use the losses to mitigate what you pay to the government. All right. So. Tax harvesting is very, very important right now. And what you can do, by the way, is you can, you know, if you have a mutual fund and it's at a loss, don't buy an ETF. If you have a stock that's at a loss, buy the ETF, you know, or buy the group ETF where the, the stock's involved. So there's lots of ways to do it, and you have a couple months to do it. So, uh, you know, something to think about. The other is, uh, thing I want to talk about, this is non-market related, is long-term care. Long-term care insurance helps uh, insure against the possibility of, of, you know, personal spending for nursing or custodial care. And believe me, I've seen a lot of people, and you know, I've talked, I talked to my clients about long-term care. Some say it's too expensive. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, I've also seen what's happened to a portfolio or two when they didn't take my advice, and something happened to them. And you know, it's unfortunate, but it does happen. And I think people have to pay very close attention to it. Now, look, nowadays what they're doing is uh, they're, they're combining long-term care insurance with life insurance. And it's a very unique scenario, okay? But if you get a monthly benefit where you can pay down some of this, your portfolio stays at bay. And if you could add the life insurance to it, uh, you know, it's it's a good combination. That's you know a long term care rider and a life insurance policy allows one to receive a a, a portion of the death benefit to cover the long term care core expenses while they're still alive. So uh, I would highly recommend it. I'll just leave it at that. You know I I'm going to say this again. I said it last week. Dividend growth portfolio. You know I've been talking about this for as long as I've been on the radio and the prime income list. We are now almost two, or a little over two standard deviations below normal valuation for dividend growth stocks. Gee, I wonder what you should do. <laughs> you know, to go to WHK fourteen twenty local podcast down to Tim Hayes, ask for the dividend growth por- portfolio. I think it's very interesting. I think that, you know, I'm starting to uh, talk to. Well, I, I have a list of our names that uh, look fairly interesting, and uh, I'll just leave it at that. You know, uh, I'm seeing some things that are interesting. And uh, I was looking at this S&P 500 daily chart, and we're back up to that uptrend line that goes all the way back to 2009. So we're at that line. You know, we've been in this this beautiful uptrend with the exception of maybe 2020, where we, we dipped below it, what they call an undercut. And uh, so we have a series of higher highs and higher lows, and we're right up on that uptrend line. And usually that's not a good thing. Um, it's usually a time where you've got to pay more attention. And, uh, you know, we'll just leave it at that. Anyway, the daily momentum, and this is tracking two to four-week swings, is now very overbought for the, for the big stocks. However, 
there's two areas that I'm seeing are starting to break out. So maybe it's time to put away the big stocks for a while and look at the Russell 2000. The Russell 2000, as I said last week, broke out. The momentum is still hasn't turned up. And I'm talking on a weekly basis, which is very, very positive. And uh, on a daily basis, we had a beautiful breakout. I mean, on strong volume, it was heavy-duty volume. Uh, and I'm starting to see a bid come in in a lot of the smaller names, especially in the communications area. Um, I've got the names, you know, uh, not all my clients like small cat stocks, so I, I take it from there. The other thing that I'm seeing is the high beta index. Now, this is the stuff. This is the uh, <laughs> the the stocks that are coming off of bases. This this is the stocks where we're reopening. The epicenter stocks that Tom Lee talked about a year ago are starting to break out. You know, they had a big run, then they've gone sideways. Now they're starting to break out again. You know, the airlines sent the S&P 500 to a new high Friday. It was not any of the big names. It was the airlines. I think this Pfizer drug, you know, I thought the Merck drug was good. But the Pfizer drug's better. This may be a game changer. This may be the end of, you know, you know the COVID problem. So it, it could get really, really interesting, I think. And uh, um, I think you've got to understand that. And um, so, look, I, I'm going to recommend a couple things here. First of all, we have our small cap index. Now, I own several stocks on this, and I'm looking at several more. Uh, and I own it across the board. And, and uh, you know, there was one stock that I was surprised it wasn't on there. It was a Matt Hedberg stock. It's a software company, uh, and I, I'm going to leave it at that. But uh, the other areas are all cap fund. Now, uh, they did keep Peloton on too long, but they're still up huge on it, so it doesn't matter. Um, but there's a lot of good names on there that are uh, going to benefit going forward. All right, uh, Some of them, we've been in them for a pretty long time, so you got to remember that. And one, I noticed uh, some serious insider buying this week, so I'll talk about that later. But that's something you can you can talk about. All right. Now, look, I think uh, you know we had Tom Gerritsen, who's a CFA out of Minneapolis, who works for us, and he has listened to uh, Tom Percelli. And the Fed pulled off a taper without a tantrum this week, and I think that's important. Uh, so they've talked it up enough that not only have Treasury yields failed to increase sharply as they did following the 2013 asset purchase tapering, they've actually moved lower with the Fed's announcement. So the broad strokes of the Fed asset purchase tapering plans are as we expected, everybody expected, you know, it's $120 billion per month and asset purchases will be cut to $15 billion a month. That's going to get rid of liquidity a little bit. So, you know, that's that's okay though. And that'll start this month. And it's a pace that would bring bond buying to an end by the, the June of next year. You know, we'd be on our own. Now, I said for some time that I thought the Treasury selling to the Fed was kind of like a Ponzi scheme to keep interest rates low. So it'll be interesting to see how interest rates, you know, work. And, you know, like I said a couple of weeks ago, I think it was about a month ago, I thought we'd bounce between this 150 and 175 area for a while. Uh, actually, I think it was two weeks ago. Um, so I think the biggest factor and the one driving sharply, you know, higher front end yields of late has been the market repricing of rate hike uh, expectations. So, 
Just prior to the Fed's meeting this week, markets were penciling as many as three uh, 25 basis point rate hikes next year. So we'll see if that happens. And if it does, uh, it'll be uh, it'll be wonderful for everybody. Hey, listen, uh, this is a live show. So if you have any questions and you're out there wondering, you know, can I explain something, whatever, the number here is 216-901-0945. That's 216-901-0945. Hey, we're going to take a break. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. Okay, we're back. A little hard-nosed rock and roll there. Um, okay, so uh, I'm seeing something, you know, and it's the first couple days of November, and I've seen three major changes, three major in leadership changes. All right, and I talked about this one at nauseum so far, so let's keep talking about it. <laughs> the S&P 500 small cap index and the Russell 2000 just broke out uh, out of a rectangular consolidation. It's very positive. I'm also seeing uh, what they call a PPO crossover, and you have to learn that yourself. Uh, but the Dow Jones Transportation had a beautiful breakout and also a beautiful PPO crossover. So um, I'm starting to see that happen too. Uh, and if I get my computer to work, hold on. Just did uh, some wacky stuff there. Uh, well, anyway. Uh, the other one is the industrials. That's why I talked about our industrial sector uh, analyst, and uh, I'm seeing that start to break out also. So, uh, you know, it, it, this could get really interesting uh, going forward because these are all the stocks that haven't participated in the last three months. Okay. Now, uh, I'm also, you know, seeing some stuff that, you know, look, people need cars first. All right, so everybody's starting to buy, you know, Ford's breaking out, Ferrari's breaking out, a lot of the electric vehicle companies are doing well. And, uh, you know, remember we talked about buying green just two months ago, you know, it all corrected. It was perfect time, buy low, sell high. Well, you know, the next thing they're going to need, you know, when you buy a new car, something breaks down, you got to buy something, right? When you blow out a tire, you got to buy something, right? Okay, so that's something I think you got to pay pretty close attention to. Now, the other thing, uh, you know, I'm seeing all sorts of, uh, you know, electric cars and just regular cars. Um, you know, there's one particular record uh, electric car that uh, was broke out on very heavy volume, and I'm not going to tell the name. And I'm I'm seeing a lot of the just regular car manufacturers looking pretty good. A little bit overbought right now, so you probably want to wait on them. But all the things you look for are very, very positive. Now, also, the people who supply lithium for batteries are doing kind of good. So this is all the stuff I said to buy when we were down. All right. So that's, that's uh, you know, that's something you must pay attention to as far as I'm concerned. Now, uh, let's see. What, what are some of the things I'm seeing? You know, if you're buying bonds, stocks are better. <laughs> and I'm just basing it on a, a ratio of the S&P 500 versus the TLT bond fund, which is on the, it's an ETF. If this decline line looks pretty good, uh, uh, you know, for the S&P 500, I'm going to discuss that in a second, but 
The one thing I will say, if we look at the the daily index on the S&P 500, the momentum is very overbought. So it's got to pause for a while, and you know we'll leave it at that. Now, if I look at the advanced decline line, that's the number of advances divided by the number of decliners, uh, it's at a new high. But if you just look at the stock only, it's not. Okay, so the the you know the new highs are you know the bond funds and and all those things that go along uh, that are listed on the New York Stock Exchange. So the stock only have improved from the September lows, but they're not at a new high yet. So that's what you want to see. Now, at nauseum, we've talked about the Russell 2000 and the S&P 500 small cap index, which have both broken out, and the weekly momentum is just turning up. Repeat that. The weekly momentum is just turning up. So maybe the small caps lead for a while, all right? And then we have the transportation index, which has you know looked kind of ugly uh, back in uh, you know May and June has now turned around and broken out on high volume. So that's pretty good. Now, investor uh, sentiment, which had been very, very high and then dropped like a brick, it went from 40 down to 21 in a week and a half, uh, now it's recovered, okay? Now, the bears, who had been uh, nowhere to be found, you know, went all the way up uh, past, uh, you know, I think it was up to 40. So they have stayed there. They haven't come back down. So... We've we've had bulls and bears kind of at forty and and our neutral people at twenty, so that's kind of interesting. One of the things I I find particularly interesting is you know Citigroup has their economic surprise for the G10 and for the U.S. and you know back in 2020 it was the lowest I've ever seen it, and I said that okay it and then I said back in at February 15th it was the highest I've ever seen it. And you know what? It's drifted back to where it normally bottoms. And the same thing with the U.S. Well, the U.S. turned up just recently. So it'll be interesting to see if the economic surprises are on the, on the upside. And look, uh, everybody keeps asking me, well, should we be in growth or should we be in va- value? Well, it depends on which week. Because <laughs> they seem to be changing back and forth every week. And, and that's, that's good. Okay? You, you know, you want some growth? You want some value? I mean, the airlines took off, excuse me, pardon the pun, they took off as soon as Pfizer's news came out. You know, now you can curate 92% of the cases, all right? That's a good thing. Uh, now, the small caps is the only group in the growth for value thing where growth is losing. You know, the value small caps are, are picking up. So, But if you look, basically since uh, February... Uh, I'd go back as far as September of last year. There is no leader. Growth and value are in a struggle, except for small caps. And the small caps, it is definitely the value stocks. And by the way, you know what that is? That's regional banks. You know, when interest rates start to go up, their spread starts to go up. They make a little bit of money on the loans, and they're actually willing to give you a loan. All right? Uh, now, the other area we talked about was the high beta stocks. You know, the transportation, the multi-industry, the home building, the forest uh, products, the fertilizers, the you know, uh, the chemicals and packaging, uh, autos and auto parts. They're all starting to turn up. The cruise lines, the airlines, they're all starting to cruise up. That's the industrial sector, folks. So those that's the theme. The three themes are transportation, small caps, and industrials. That seems to be where the money's flowing right at this point. And if I look at the high beta Versus the low volatility, it looks like high beta is broken out. 
All right. So remember that. That's, keep that down. Uh, now, here's the thing that everybody's talking about Europe. And, you know, Europe's cheap. Don't get me wrong. I, I don't hate Europe or anything like that. But the ratio of, let's say, the EFA, you know, which is the ETF for Europe, uh, it's the Morgan Stanley Corporate Index, by the way, versus the S&P 500, it's still in a downtrend, and it's nowhere near turning up. So, you know, and the EEM is the same thing. You know, the EEM, the relative strength, the relative performance versus the S&P 500 just hit a new low. So you're seeing, you know, stuff that's saying, hey, you know, maybe you want to be in Europe, but I don't think you want to be, or, or international, I don't think you want to be heavy duty in them. You know, you want to be uh, uh, a lot less heavy-duty, let's put it that way. Um, the 10-year yield, Now we've been talking about this for a couple of weeks now, and, you know, it went up to 170, and I said if it broke 184, it would go, and it didn't. And then it went up to 170 again and pulled back, and now it's pulling back even further. So I think it's going to stay in that range. You know, it might be 150 to 175, and it could go maybe down as far as 126 to 175. Uh, 177 may be the top end. Who knows? But I did I did notice the you know the weekly momentum uh, on the yield now. So if the yield goes down, the bond goes up. Okay, remember that. Uh, it might be I don't know. It, it looks like it might be peaking. I'm not absolutely sure on that one. But uh, we we do have a lot of resistance in that 170 range, and we stopped right there. All right. So uh, now the other thing is the dollar. Uh, now, remember, commodities are bought with U.S. dollars. So if the U.S. dollar goes down, the people in Europe and China and everywhere else can buy more. Okay, so you see commodity prices go up. So the dollar has kind of stalled out here at the 94 area and uh, 94.7 to be exact. You know, and by the way, you know, if it goes to 93, that's a big move down for the dollar. Okay, but I did notice the the weekly spot price the the momentum looks like it's rolling over a little bit. All right. So we'll, we'll see, uh, you know, Rob Schleimer has uh, some great stuff on this, on the daily too. Um, and the daily has rolled over and you, you know, you can see it, you know, we ended at 94.50, I think, and then, uh, it rolled over. So, um, it's, I think it's going to be in a range. It's got good support in the 93 area, but it's got a lot of resistance in the 95, 96 area. So we'll see what happens uh, going forward. Um, now, remember, I, I like, uh, and, and Rob Schleimer likes it too, by the way. He's our head technician. He's very good at what he does. Uh, he looks at the Euro-Japanese yen, and the weekly momentum continues to build to the upside here. And why do we look at that is because you know, when you see an improvement in is it's a net positive for cyclicals in general. Okay. So the Euro versus the yen is improving, meaning the cyclicals, the industrials, the transportations, and all the names I just talked about, uh, are probably, uh, you know, a good bet right now. Now I, I think, uh, you know, the one thing is, is interesting is oil. You know, I don't, I saw an interview the other day, uh, with, uh, Biden's energy secretary and they were talking about oil and said, you know, why don't you allow them to start, uh, you know, drilling? And she laughed. <laughs> said that's not going to, you know, basically that's not going to happen. So they'd rather just, you know, move with the Saudis. So it'll be interesting. I will say, you know, crude oil futures are turning over on a daily basis. So we'll see what happens. Hey, let's take a break. Remember, the number here is 216-901-0945. 216-901-0945. Stay tuned. 
Okay, we're back. I heard the uh, the bassist uh, from that great band uh, has died on us. That was that's too bad. Uh, anyway, I, I've got a lot of calls recently. Uh, amazing how many people call in from the show and talk. It's kind of fun. Get some, uh, you know, the sounding board, if you will. Um, and they ask everybody asks about Bitcoin and Ethereum. <laughs> and look, I, I'm not an expert in these things, and I don't know if anybody else is either. Because it's hard to tell you what they're worth. All right, it's a digital currency, and you know somebody decided it was worth a dollar, and next thing you know, it was worth sixty thousand dollars, and uh, who knows? But uh, as far as uh, you know, fund scores—they're all both over five, which is very good in the Dorsey Wright system. And uh, I believe the Ethereum, you know, broke out to a new high, and uh, you know we've we've had uh, Bitcoin at least the Bitcoin ETF pulled back a little bit. So who knows? Uh, there, there is a NAS, NASDAQ crypto index too, by the way, that uh, a lot of people have asked about. But, uh, you know, some of these are over, really overbought. Some are really oversold and, you know, the rest is history. Uh, so now we talk about the bullish percent and the bullish percent is our risk guide to the stock market. All right. Something happened this week, which I think is big because it's the first time it's happened in like three years. And, uh, but, it was designed to be a risk on or risk on off type of thing. Now, look, it doesn't mean you have to sell everything you own or anything like that when, when the bullish percent turns into a column of bows. It just means you've got to be smarter about things, okay? You've got to take a look at what you own and say what's weak, what's not, okay? That's, what, that's how people get killed. They, you know, they don't sell their losers, and they, keep their, you know, they don't keep their winners. Uh, look, I, I, I have a stock that I bought in June. It's up 100% as of Friday. I have a stock that was up <laughs> about a year and a half, ago, a year and a quarter ago, and it's up like 500%. It was 112 uh, at the beginning of October. Uh, it hit, you know, it hit 210 Friday. Uh, I sold a little bit, uh, just a little bit, not a lot. Um, actually, I had people call me and have it sell. So, so there's lots of stuff out there that you can do. Um, and it, what's amazing is, is that some people are still holding on to losers, hope, hoping for the best. You know, Now, if they have a dividend and they're a dividend growth stock, having a 5 or 10% loss ain't that bad because you're going to make it up on the dividend. And usually, this, you know, if it's a dividend growth portfolio, you cannot fake a dividend. All right? But anyway, the bullish percent we, we move that along with dynamic asset level investing. So the bullish percent goes from zero to 100. And when you get over 70, that's the red zone. That's when everybody's talking about their portfolio. Everybody's excited, you know, and uh, I get introduced to parties. You know, this is my investment advisor. And then we get below 30 and I don't even get Christmas cards. <laughs> I'm not invited to parties and, and everybody uh, doesn't even open up their 401k statement. We have a column of X's. That means the offensive team's on the field. We go into a column of O's. We have a defensive team on the field. Now, what we do is we add that to the dynamic asset level investing. And what we're doing is we're rating each asset class. Right now, domestic equities are still number one. They've been number one for three straight years with the exception of one month in March of 2020 when bonds were a little bit better. All right? So domestic equities are still the place to be. And, and by the way, cash is Cash and currencies are dead last. All right, so uh, cash is trash right now. So 
you know, I mean, look, JP Morgan isn't, they, they don't want deposits because <laughs> they don't know what to do with them. All right. But anyway, the bullish percent, the New York bullish percent went into a column of X's this week. So did the small cap index. The world index is still in a column of O's and is still four percentage points away from, from breaking out. But what's interesting, for the first time, you know, there's several statuses on, on, on a stock. It's in bull confirmed, bull correction, bear confirmed, bear correction, right? We've been either in bear correction or whatever for, you know, three or four years now. The first time we've been in, we went to bull confirmed this week. So something tells me this rally's got legs and, you know, you don't want to be running for cover. And if you sell something, sell half of it, maybe. All right. But we did have uh, an interesting thing on the small cap index. And, you know, we're probably overdoing this, but, you know, the fund score is now over four and a half, which is a fantastic on a momentum basis. And what's really interesting is we broke a double top, but right before that, we broke five tops. And uh, so it's given three consecutive buy signals. And that's this is the Russell 2000. A lot of that have been small cap banks, by the way. Uh, and you really, it's very important that the financials lead the way. It's the best kind of market. Trust me, over the long term, it's the best kind of market. Uh, you know, we talked about the financials in, in a big sense just a reason ago. So, Look, um, the top, these, these are all fairly overbought, okay? So we should see some kind of, you know, pullback, I would think. But the S&P 500 index funds are the best thing to have right now. Small cap growth second, micro cap third, and micro, uh, mid cap growth is fourth, all right? Now, what's interesting is small cap and mid cap and micro cap outperform the S&P 500. So uh, you know, S&P 500 looks a little stretched, especially several stocks that are Contributing to it, although we are starting to see some of the the, the dregs pull pull it up. All right, uh, so you know if you look at performance on the Russell 2000, it's industrials, information technology, financials, and healthcare and consumer uh, discretionary, and then real estate have been the top performers in that group. You know, if I look at the the, the Dally uh, Dynamic Asset Level Investor sector ratings that our friends Dorsey Wright, who also, by the way, provide us with the with the with the uh, bullish percent. Consumer cyclical. Now that's being pulled by Tesla. Tesla is 110% of the return. So just remember that. Financials, technology, and then energy. By the way, energy, since I talked about it in January and then I talked about it again in May, it's been the best performing asset class. And I couldn't get half my clients to uh, to buy it, which is interesting. Uh, now, it's been in a correction for a while, but consumer cyclical is improving. But just remember, Tesla is in there. Uh, and But we are seeing strength from other automakers. Remember, I talked about that earlier, so I want to emphasize that. Financials, uh, I would overweight those. I would overweight technology. I would equal weight uh, energy, but it's improving. All right? So on the international arena, um, you know, if I look at the ETS spotlight, I, I think, uh, you know, you might want to be thinking about switching more to domestic equity related uh, uh, domestic equity related ETFs simply because this is the I mean you know you go away in May and you come back on All Souls Day and we just started the first week so things are getting going to get interesting I think over the next couple of weeks uh, so you know especially internationally what I think what you want to do 
is use a high beta strategy, okay, with a low uh, low volatility strategy, you know, to combine, see what happens. Somebody asked me, uh, you know, um, I was looking at emerging market high yield bonds. A lot of people have been talking about those, you know, because the yield's like 580, 590. Uh, but they broke a double bottom this week. So, um, you know, that means yields are going up. I'm not sure why, but uh, now I look at the U.S. Treasuries, and, you know, after the Fed statement, the 10-year Treasury had been touching 1.6, closing around 1.58. So it's actually pulled back a little bit. You know, it's kind of weird. Uh, you know, and crude's been very positive for a while, and, and so hasn't uh, gold. Uh, gold and copper have been you know, positive for three and four weeks. You know, gold looks like if it breaks 2000, 2070, I guess, or, you know, it could go up a lot. Copper, I think, might have broken out Friday. And if that's the case, that could be very, very big. Um, we also see in real estate, you know, uh, and REITs, and, you know, there's all sorts of REITs. There's, you know, there's uh, industrial REITs. There's, uh, you know, REITs that are just shopping malls, which are looking really good, by the way. And there's REITs like uh, Towers. And, uh, you know, there's server farms out there in their REITs. So, you know, it, it, that's interesting. Um, you know, there's some r- real big studies that have shown what the the uh, the, the corresponding um, strength of real estate investment trusts when, uh, well, let's put it this way. Despite the recent FMOC comments, the technical setup for the broad real estate sector remains pretty bullish. And we recently saw the group move to fifth on dynamic asset, asset level investing. Uh, so that that's, means that we have some healthy uh, levels of part- uh, participation by REITs. And REITs are real estate investment trusts. So what they do is they go out and buy real estate and they have to pay you 80% of their earnings and dividends, uh, which is good, you know. So REITs have generally experienced a positive correlation to interest rates. So if interest rates go up, REITs go up with them because, you know, real estate uh, gets a little bit, uh, well, let's just put it this way, more people are paying attention to real estate uh, than, you know, before. And I think it's I think it's very, very important. Um, you know, so we'll just leave it at that. Now, look, I, I'm going to go back and I'm going to say, hey, there's a lot of small cap stocks. And, you know, one of the things, you know, whether it's oil or it's insurance uh, or it's healthcare, uh, you know, whatever it may be. Uh, we also have, you know, solar on the list and, uh, uh, you know, just a lot of really interesting stocks, you know, and uh, th- these could be big, big, big things if this small cap index is going to take off. And uh, some of the analysts behind it are pretty, pretty good at what they do you know uh so i just leave it that uh the small cap index is something that i would go i'd be talking about i'd also think the all cap index there's some small cap names on there that aren't on the small cap index so it's another place to look so look when the small cap's breaking out the, the industrial's breaking out and the transport's breaking out you know we've been talking about the electrical grid the infrastructure bill was passed the global energy, power, and infrastructure, you know, that that was our conference this, this spring. It's still good information because it's just now getting passed. And you don't think it's going to help 
the guys in the electrical business and the transportation business and the auto parts area, uh, you better think again because there's going to be some big bucks in there. So those would be the ones I'd be sending away for right now. The industrial sector, uh, Dean Dre, is really good at what he does. And, you know, he's got this method and it works. And, you know, you buy the high quality at the end of the at the end of this uh, scenario and the, the lower quality during the periods when industrials are starting to pick up. All right, let's take a break. This is Smart Investor Show. We'll be right back with Insiders and uh, in a summation. Stay, stay tuned. This is Smart Investor Show. All right, we're back. The monkeys, uh, I think, are in town soon. <laughs> Wouldn't that be interesting? Um, anyway, we always talk about insiders on this show. So what we've done is we start with a strategy piece and an economics piece, and we've bar- you know, narrowed it down to some things that have happened over the week. We've given you some themes. Uh, now we're going to talk about insiders. Why do we buy? Why do we talk about insiders? Because they know the companies better than we do. All right, that simple. They. You know, they're buying. They're usually a little early, and you got to pay attention there. But uh, it's something to pay particular attention to, I think, right at this point. Um, so Ted Weschler, I don't know if you know who he is, but he was a hedge fund manager who now works with Warren Buffett. Uh, and he bought some stocks this week, which I thought were – and by the way, Berkshire bought them too. Uh, one is uh, the Liberty Braves Group, which is the – Atlanta Braves, by the way, and uh, you know, so it's 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 kind of kind of interesting that he'd be buying those guys after they they uh, win the uh, uh, you know the World Series. But by the way, congratulations, my brother's uh, down there. And uh, but it's interesting he, he buys it. And uh, the other one is that the Ber- Berkshire bought now Ted Wessler bought the Braves Berkshire. And Ted Wessler bought Liberty Media, a serious group. All right, um, so they bought about twenty million shares, or twenty million dollars worth. Uh, no, twenty million shares. I'm sorry. And then uh, we also had a couple of small names that I thought were very interesting by, um, you know, who, by the people who had bought them, and they're very smart, smart people. I think anyway. Uh, and one is Aug Augmedics. And this is Red Mile again. Uh, they bought six point five million dollars worth. And then, uh, if I can re- read my own name, re- read my own handwriting here, uh, I can't. So I have to give you this one. It's Arminet, Arminet, where uh, a very innovation partners bought one point two million shares. That's uh, very smart money right there. Uh, on the in the meantime, I also saw, and, and this is some communities. Uh, which is, by the way, on our all-cap list. Um, they they had the chairman uh, Jerry Gary Sifman, who's a very bright guy, uh, buy twenty-five million dollars worth of stock this week. And then the marvelous marvelous Mario Gabelli, the great Gabelli. Last week he bought healthcare. You know, I told you healthcare for a five-year rolling period. It's the first time they've under healthcare's underperformed, and they saved the day. Pfizer saved the day on Friday, and here the great Gabelli buys. Uh, $10 million, $15 million worth of the, his Gabelli healthcare fund 
And this week, he buys the Global Small and Mid-Cap Value Trust. He buys $11 million, and then two days later, he buys $1.6 million. Hmm, interesting. And then um, also we have Innovivia, uh, the, the, the company uh, bought, well, it says it's a director, but I think it's the company. company bought its own stock, bought $4 million worth of its own stock. The other one I thought was really interesting was Loan Depot. And I'm watching this one kind of closely. You know, I've been down and out and uh, had a great quarter and gave it all back. And when they gave it all back, uh, Anthony Asia, who's the CEO and a very bright guy, by the way, bought $3.8 million. And then the next day bought $3.5 million worth of stock. I love seeing the CEO spy. And then Renaissance Holding in the insurance area. Now, they're in Bermuda. Uh, Kevin O'Donnell, who's a pretty very bright guy, bought $2 million stock. And you may recall, uh, he bought some back in May, uh, and the stock's pulled up pretty nicely. And then uh, Mountain Crest acquisition for you guys like SPACs, David Perry um, bought 200,000 shares, the $2 million. At 10, by the way, it's at 12 now. And then uh, Pfizer, Dennis uh, O'Leary, who you may know uh, from you know uh, Shark Tank and all that, bought $1.6 million worth. By the way, I forgot to mention uh, Tony Hasia from Lone Depot bought a million dollars uh, on Friday too, and I forgot to add that to the to my list here, so I apologize. And then uh, OP Bancorp, uh, which is hitting the new high, uh, a director bought a million dollars worth, and we also had uh, Ross Curtis, who's the the chief underwriting officer for Renaissance, uh, buy about nine hundred thousand dollars worth. Now. There's a couple names that I think are really kind of interesting right now. Last week, everybody and their brother, uh, last two weeks, I should say, for two weeks in a row, Intel had everybody and their brother, in after the company, disappointed by the stock. And this week, we had Omar Israq, who's a director, buy uh, about $960,000 worth. And then Greg Smith buy $500,000 worth of uh, stock. So the uh, they, uh, they continue to buy, all right? Uh, and that's what I guess I'm <laughs> uh, suggesting. Now, there's a couple uh, local names here that I thought were really interesting. By the way, um, I, sh- I should also say on Renaissance Holdings, the chief risk officer bought half a million dollars, the chief financial officer bought $500,000, and the chief accounting officer uh, bought uh, you know like $200,000. So it was a ton of people in Renaissance, uh, which is a pretty good little company. Um, and uh, I had one other one, uh, and that's Kirby Corporation, which would be in the uh, shipping area, which would be in the transportation area, by the way. Um, we had quite a few buyers there. And then and then finally, Don Listwin, and he, this guy's an interesting character. He is a, a director at Calex, which is a software company uh, that's in the 5G area. And he, he bought $800,000 for the stock at a new high. Love seeing that. Love seeing that. All right. So uh, what else do we uh, think? So we got a lot of questions on gold. And the weekly momentum on gold is bottoming. All right. Uh, so it just it needs to get over 2,076 or something like that, and then it would be a major breakout. Um, but we did get over 1,800. So... I think it's a pullback. You know, we, we were worried about it for a while there because it pulled back fairly quickly. Um, I think it will hold above 1676. You know, I, I think uh, our friend, uh, Mr. Rob Schleimer, probably would say the same thing after looking at the chart. 
The one that's interesting is copper. You know, copper pulled back and uh, it looked like it, I thought it broke out Friday, but I guess, it, you know, I'm looking at the chart now and it, it, it missed it. But the weekly momentum starting to turn up. And, uh, you know, Dr. Copper, that's what they call it because it's, it has all, when it turns up, it's got all the, uh, 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 let's say, medicine to cure the economy because copper goes in everything, you know. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. The daily momentum is very, very oversold and uh, it'll be interesting to see what, what happens after that. So, if look, to review what we talked about today, and I'm going to emphasize some things that, uh, you know, most people um, are, are not thinking about right now. The small cap index from the S&P 500 and the Russell 2000 both broke out. Now, the S&P 500 small cap index, which is the small cap 600 index, has one big difference than the Russell. The Russell has 500 regional banks in it. So that's, you know, that's a big positive because financials are leading the way. And when the small financials lead the way, that's a big time positive. Huge. Uh, in Tim Hayes' opinion, all right? So I think that's important. I think the fact that the transportations are hitting new highs. So we have the Dow hitting new high, the transportations hitting a new high, and the utilities not far off. You know, that's that's what they call the you know a Dow theory buy signal when all three hit a new high together. All right. So we'll see uh, if utilities participate, and if they do, we'll take it from there. All right. So we have the small caps breaking out, the transportations breaking out. And then the high beta stocks, which are the industrials, the chemicals, the fertilizers, the forest products, the home building. Home building, I saw like five or six home builders, you know, people who supply the building industry and that type of thing that had big moves last week. Uh, you know, they just spiked up. So that'll be an interesting place to go. I, it, and it happened like in two days. So, you know, you didn't have much time to react. You, you come in to buy them one day, they're up. And then you come by them the next day, they're up. So you got to kind of wait for them to pull back a little bit. But that's the area you know, where I'd be concentrating on those, those three areas. All right. So for now, anyway, so uh, I think the important part and, and probably the thing I said that was the most important to anybody that's going to retire is that dividend growth stocks, the dividend aristocrat are two, a little bit more than two standard deviations below their normal valuation. Okay. Now let's, that's like buying a Mercedes Benz at 35% below what they're worth. Okay. Uh, Blue book, we'll call it. All right. So that's a, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. So the dividend growth portfolios are really where you want to go. And, uh, you know, somebody said, I could buy an ETF that, you know, I found the ETFs, you know, and I have three of them. Uh, They have underperformed the portfolio. So I'll just leave it at that. But, you know, sometimes when you buy the actual stock, uh, you know, look, Buying stocks gets you rich. Buying ETFs and mutual funds doesn't make you poor. Okay, you know they can make you money over a long period of time, especially if you have one of those few you know mutual funds that whatever. But look, Abbott Labs a dividend aristocrat. If you had the stock for 20 years now, you'd be a very happy person. I'm not saying to buy Abbott Labs right at the moment, um, but the dividend growth portfolio is something you t- ought to take a look at. Also, our small cap ideas. And our all-cap ideas are some really good stuff in there, too. And we do have our industrial sector and our U.S. electrical grid and also our global energy you know, infrastructure uh, conference back in May. This stuff, it just happened, folks. Whether we like it or not, it just happened. All right? So 
those are the, the reports I'd be looking at. Uh, the industrial sector could be really big because they, they probably get the benefit of an improving economy and the infrastructure bill. So uh, don't forget that. Now, uh, for you young professionals, we have Money Matters for you. It's a great uh, book. It's very quick to read. It gives you some insight on what to think of. Women and Wealth, all you ladies out there, a planning workbook. Uh, the Savvy Investors Credit Workbook is also something that I'd be paying attention to. And for all you guys selling guys and gals selling businesses, uh, the Business Owner's Guide to Transition Planning, uh, you know, it's got a lot of helpful hints and it's got a checklist and all that stuff. And like I said, if you're talking to private equity, we have some people you should talk to because I think they can get you a better price uh, and put it better just as well as not better hands. Um, in the meantime, uh, we're looking at we're looking at a, a very interesting market. We went to bull confirmed status this week, folks. So the small caps broke out and bull confirmed. We haven't seen that in three or four years. Stay tuned. Things are going to get interesting. This is Smart Investor Show. I'm Tim Hayes. Have a great weekend. If you want to have coffee, you know, go to WHK1420 down to Smart Investor Show. Email me or text me. Remember, buy low, sell high. Have a Thanks for listening to the Smart Investor Hour. To reach Tim during the week, call him toll-free, 888-223-7742. That's 888-223-7742. Or visit his website, rbcwmfa.com slash Tim Hayes. That's all one word in the address bar, rbcwfma.com slash Tim Hayes. Please join us again next Saturday for the Smart Investor Hour to hear more smart investing from Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.